Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash Support for more information. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight. I will be reading a short story by Anton Chekhov, The Safety Match. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Part 1 On the morning of October 6th, 1885, a well-dressed young man presented himself at the office of the police superintendent of the 2nd Division of the S District, and announced that his employer, a retired cornet of the guards called Mark Ivanovich Klausov, had been murdered. The young man was pale and extremely agitated as he made this announcement. His hands trembled and there was a look of horror in his eyes. To whom have I the honour of speaking, the superintendent asked him. Syakov, Klausov's steward agricultural and engineering expert. The police superintendent, on reaching the spot with Syakov and the necessary witnesses, found the position as follows. 
masses of people were crowding about the lodge in which Klausov lived. The news of the event had flown round the neighbourhood with the rapidity of lightning, and thanks to its being a holiday, the people were flocking to the lodge from all the neighbouring villages. There was a regular hubbub of talk. Pale and tearful faces were to be seen here and there. The door into Klausov's bedroom was found to be locked. The key was in the lock on the inside. Evidently, the criminals made their way in by the window, Syakov observed as they examined the door. They went into the garden into which the bedroom window looked. The window had a gloomy, ominous air. It was covered by a faded green curtain. One corner of the curtain was slightly turned back, which made it possible to peep into the bedroom. Has any one of you looked in at the window? inquired the superintendent. No, your honour, said Ephraim, the gardener, a little grey-haired old man with the face of a veteran, non-commissioned officer. No one feels like looking when they are shaking in every limb. Mark Ivanovich, Mark Ivanovich, sighed the superintendent as he looked to the window. I told you that you would come to a bad end. I told you, poor dear, you wouldn't listen. Dissipation leads to no good. It's thanks to Ephraim, said Syakov. We should never have guessed it but for him. It was he who first thought that something was wrong. He came to me this morning and said, Why is it our master hasn't waked up for so long? He hasn't been out of his bedroom for a whole week. When he said that to me, I was struck all of a sudden. The thought flashed through my mind at once. He hasn't made an appearance since Saturday of last week. And today's Sunday. Seven days is no joke. Yes, poor man, the superintendent sighed again. A clever fellow, well-educated and so good-hearted. There was no one like him, one may say, in company. But a rake, the kingdom of heaven be his. I'm not surprised at anything with him. Stefan, he said, addressing one of the witnesses, ride off this minute to my house and send Adryushka to the police captains. Let him report it to him. Say, Mark Ivanovich has been murdered. Yes, and run to the inspector. Why should he sit in comfort doing nothing? Let him come here. And you go yourself as fast as you can to the examining magistrate, Nikolai Yermolich, and tell him to come here. Wait a bit. I will write him a note. The police superintendent stationed watchmen around the lodge and went off to the stewards to have tea. Ten minutes later he was sitting on a stool, carefully nibbling lumps of sugar and sipping tea as hot as a red-hot coal. There it is, he said to Syakov. There it is. A gentleman and a well-to-do one too. A favourite of the gods, one may say, to use Pushkin's expression. And what has he made of it? Nothing. He gave himself up to drinking and debauchery. And here now, he has been murdered. Two hours later, the examining magistrate drove up. Nikolai Yermolich Chubakov, that was the magistrate's name, a tall, thick-set, old man of sixty, had been hard at work for a quarter of a century. He was known to be an honest, intelligent, energetic man devoted to his work. His invariable companion, assistant and secretary, a tall young man of six and twenty called Dukovsky, arrived on the scene with him. Is it possible, gentlemen, Chubukov began, going
going into Sadkov's room and rapidly shaking hands with everyone. Is it possible? Mark Ivanovich? Murdered? No, it's impossible. Impossible. There it is, sighed the superintendent. Merciful heavens, why I saw him only last Friday, at the fair. Saving your presence, I drank a glass of vodka with him. There it is, the superintendent sighed once more. They heaved sighs, expressed their horror, drank a glass of tea each, and went to the lodge. Make way, the police inspector shouted to the crowd. On going into the lodge, the examining magistrate first of all set to work to inspect the door into the bedroom. The door turned out to be made of deal, painted yellow, and not to have been tampered with. No special traces that might have served of evidence could be found. They proceeded to break open the door. I beg you, gentlemen, who are not concerned, to retire, said the examining magistrate, when, after loud banging and cracking, the door yielded to the axe and the chisel. I ask this in the interests of the investigation. Inspector, admit no one. Chubikov, his assistant, and the police superintendent opened the door and hesitatingly, one after the other, walked into the room. The following spectacle met their eyes. In the solitary window stood a big wooden bedstead with an immense feather bed on it. On the rumpled feather bed lay a creased and crumpled quilt. A pillow, in a cotton pillowcase, also much creased, was on the floor. On a little table beside the bed lay a silver watch and silver coins to the value of twenty kopecks. Some sulfur matches lay there too. Except the bed, the table, and a solitary chair, there was no furniture in the room. Looking onto the bed, the superintendent saw two dozen empty bottles, an old straw hat, and a jar of vodka. Under the table lay one boot covered with dust. Taking a look around the room, Chubikov frowned and flushed crimson. The blackguards, he muttered, clenching his fists. And where's Mark? Chukovsky asked quietly. I beg you not to put your spoke in, Chubikov answered roughly. Kindly examine the floor. This is the second case in my experience, Igraf Kuzmich, he added to the police and superintendent dropping his voice. In 1870, I had a similar case, but no doubt you remember it, the murder of the merchant, Rotratov. It was just the same. The blackguards murdered him and dragged the body out of the window. Chubikov went to the window, drew the curtain aside and cautiously pushed the window. The window opened. It opens, so it was not fastened. Hmm, there are traces on the windowsill, do you see? Here's the trace of a knee. Someone climbed out. We shall have to inspect the window thoroughly. There is nothing special to be observed on the floor, said Joukowsky. No stains, nor scratches. The only thing I have found is a used safety match. Here it is. As far as I remember, Mark Ivanovich didn't smoke. In a general way, he used sulfur ones, never safety matches. This match may serve as a clue. Oh, hold your tongue, please, cried Chubikov with a wave of his hand. He keeps on about his match. I can't stand these excitable people. Instead of looking for matches, you'd better examine the bed. On inspecting the bed, Chukovsky reported, There are no stains of blood or of anything else, nor are there any fresh rents. 
On the pillow, there are traces of teeth. A liquid, having the smell of bear and also the taste of it, has been spilt on the quilt. The general appearance of the bed gives grounds for supposing there's been a struggle. I know there was a struggle without your telling me. No one asked you whether there was a struggle. Instead of looking out for a struggle, you had better be... One boot is here. The other one is not on the scene. Well, what of that? Why, they must have strangled him while he was taking off his boots. He hadn't time to take the second boot off when... He's off again. And how do you know that he was strangled? There are marks of teeth on the pillow. The pillow itself is very much crumpled and has been flung to a distance of six feet from the bed. He argues the chatterbox. We had better go into the garden. You had better look in the garden instead of rummaging about here. I can do that without your help. When they went out into the garden, their first task was the inspection of the grass. The grass had been trampled down under the windows. The clump of burdock against the wall under the window turned out to have been trampled on too. Tukovsky succeeded in finding on it some broken shoots and a little bit of wadding. On the topmost burrs, some fine threads of dark blue wool were found. What was the colour of his last suit? Tukovsky asked Sayakov. It was yellow, made of canvas. Capital. Then it was they who were in dark blue. Some of the burrs were cut off and carefully wrapped up in the paper. At that moment, Vistakovsky, the police captain, and Tutuyev, the doctor, arrived. The police captain greeted the others and at once proceeded to satisfy his curiosity. The doctor, a tall and extremely lean man with sunken eyes, a long nose and a sharp chin, greeting no one and asking no questions, sat down on a stump, heaved a sigh and said, The Serbians are in a turmoil again. I can't make out what they want. Ah, Austria, it's your doing. The inspection of the window from outside yielded absolutely no result. The inspection of the grass and surrounding bushes furnished many valuable clues. Dukovsky succeeded, for instance, in detecting a long, dark streak in the grass, consisting of stains and stretching from the window for a good many yards into the garden. The streak ended under one of the lilac bushes in a big brownish stain. Under the same bush was found a boot, which turned out to be the fellow to the one found in the bedroom. This is an old stain of blood, said Joukowsky, examining the stain. At the word blood, the doctor got up and lazily took a cursory glance at the stain. Yes, it's blood, he muttered. Then he wasn't strangled since there's blood, said Chubukov, looking malignantly at Joukowsky. He was strangled in the bedroom, and here, afraid he would come too, they attacked him with something sharp. The stain under the bush shows that he lay there for a comparatively long time while they were trying to find some way of carrying him, or something to carry him on out of the garden. Well, and the boot? The boot bears out my contention that he was murdered while he was taking off his boots before going to bed. He had taken off one boot, the other, that is, this boot, he had only managed to get half off. While he was being dragged and shaken, the boot that was only half on came off of itself. What powers of deduction? Just look at him, Chubikov jeered. He brings it all out so pat. And when will you learn not to put your theories forward? You'd better take a little of the grass for analysis instead of arguing. 
After making the inspection and taking a plan of the locality, they went off to the stewards to write a report and have lunch. At lunch, they talked. Watch, money, and everything else are untouched. Chubikov began the conversation. It is as clear as twice two makes four that the murder was committed not for mercenary motives. It was committed by a man of the educated class, Dukovsky put in. From what do you draw that conclusion? I base it on the safety match, which the workers about here have not learned to use yet. Such matches are only used by landowners and not by all of them. He was murdered, by the way, not by one, but by three, at least. Two held him while the third strangled him. Klausov was strong and the murderers must have known that. What use would his strength be to him, supposing he were asleep? The murderers came upon him as he was taking off his boots. He was taking off his boots, so he was not asleep. It's no good making things up. You'd better eat your lunch. To my thinking, Your Honour, said Ephraim, the gardener, as he set the samovar on the table, this vile deed was the work of no other than Nikolashka. Quite possible, said Sayakov. Who's this Nikolashka? The master's valet, Your Honour, answered Ephraim. Who else should it be, if not he? He's a ruffian, Your Honour, a drunkard, and a much dissipated fellow. May the Queen of Heaven never bring the like again. He always used to fetch vodka for the master. He always used to put the master to bed. Who should it be, if it not he? And what's more, I venture to bring to your notice, Your Honour, he boasted once in a tavern, the rascal, that he would murder his master. It's all on account of a kolka, on account of a woman. He had a soldier's wife. The master took a fancy to her and got intimate with her, and he was angered by it, to be sure. He's lolling about in the kitchen now, drunk. He's crying, making out he's grieving over the master. And anyone might be angry over a kulka, certainly, said Saikov. She's the soldier's wife, but Mark Ivanovich might well call her Nana. There's something in her that does suggest Nana. Fascinating. I have seen her. I know, said the examining magistrate, blowing his nose in a red handkerchief. Tchaikovsky blushed and dropped his eyes. The police superintendent drummed his saucer with his fingers. The police captain coughed and rummaged in his portfolio for something. On the doctor alone, the mention of Akulka and Nana appeared to produce no impression. Chubikov ordered Nikolashka to be fetched. Nikolashka? a lanky young man with a long pockmarked nose and a hollow chest, wearing a reefer jacket that had been his master's, came into Sayakov's room and bowed down to the ground before Chubikov. His face looked sleepy and showed traces of tears. He was drunk and could hardly stand up. Where's your master? Chubikov asked him. He's murdered, your honour. As he said this, Nikolashka blinked and began to cry. We know that he is murdered. But where is he now? Where is his body? They say it was dragged out of the window and buried in the garden. Hmm. The results of the investigation are already known in the kitchen, then. That's bad. My good fellow, where were you on the night when your master was killed? On Saturday, that is. Nikolashka raised his head, craned his neck and pondered. I can't say, Your Honour, he said. I was drunk, and I don't remember. An alibi, whispered Dukovsky, grinning and rubbing his hands. Ah, and 
And why is it there's blood under your master's window? Nikolashka flung up his head and pondered. Think a little quicker, said the police captain. In a minute. That's blood from a trifling matter, your honour. I killed a hen. It fluttered out of my hands and took off and ran. That's what the blood's from. Ephraim testified that Nikolashka really did kill a hen every evening and killed it on all sorts of places. And no one had seen the half-killed hen running around the garden, though, of course, it could not be positively denied that it had done so. An alibi, laughed Yukovsky, and what an idiotic alibi. Have you had relations with Akolka? Yes, I have sinned. And your master carried her off from you? No, not at all. It was this gentleman here, Mr. Syakov, Ivan Mihalich, who enticed her from me, and the master took him from Ivan. That's how it was. Syakov looked confused and began rubbing his left eye. Tchaikovsky fastened his eyes upon him, detected his confusion, and started. He saw on the steward's legs dark blue trousers which he had not previously noticed. The trousers reminded him of the blue threads found on the burdock. Chubikov, in his turn, glanced suspiciously at Syakov. You can go, he said to Nikolashka. And now allow me to put one question to you, Mr. Syakov. You were here, of course, on the Saturday of last week? Yes. At ten o'clock I had supper with Mark Ivanovich. And afterwards? Syakov was confused and got up from the table. Afterwards? Afterwards, I really don't remember, he muttered. I had drunk a great deal on that occasion. I can't remember where and when I went to bed. Why do you all look at me like that, as though I had murdered him? Where did you wake up? I woke up in the servant's kitchen on the stove. They can all confirm that. How I got on the stove, I can't say. Don't disturb yourself. Do you know Aquilina? Oh, well, not particularly. Did she leave you for Klausov? Yes. Ephraim, bring some more mushrooms. Will you have some tea, Igraf Kuzmich? There followed an oppressive, painful silence that lasted for some five minutes. Tchaikovsky held his tongue and kept his piercing eyes on Syakov's face, which gradually turned pale. The silence was broken by Tchubikov. We must go to the big house, he said, and speak to the deceased's sister, Maria Ivanovna. She may give us some evidence. Chubikov and his assistant thanked Syakov for the lunch, then went off to the big house. They found Klausov's sister, a maiden lady of five and forty, on her knees before a high family shrine of icons. When she saw portfolios and caps adorned with cockades in her visitor's hands, she turned pale. First of all, I must offer an apology for disturbing your devotions, so to say the gallant Shubikov began with a scrape. We have come to you with a request. You have heard, of course, already. There is a suspicion that your brother has somehow been murdered. God's will, you know. Death, no one can escape, neither Tsar nor Plowman. Can you not assist us with some fact, something that will throw light? Oh, do not ask me, said Maria Ivanovna, turning whiter still and hiding her face in her hands. I can tell you nothing. Nothing, I implore you, I can say nothing. What can I do? Oh no, not a word of my brother. 
I would rather die than speak. Maria Ivanovna burst into tears and went away into another room. The officials looked at each other, shrugged their shoulders, and retreated. A devil of a woman, said Tchaikovsky, swearing as they went out of the big house. Apparently, she knows something and is concealing it. And there is something peculiar in her expression as well. You wait a bit. We will get to the bottom of it all. In the evening, Chubikov and his assistant were driving home by the light of a pale-faced moon. They sat in their wagonette, summing up in their minds the incidents of the day. Both were exhausted and sat silent. Chubikov never liked talking on the road. In spite of his talkativeness, Tchaikovsky held his tongue in deference to the old man. Towards the end of the journey, however, the young man could endure the silence no longer and began. That Nikolashka has had a hand in this business, he said, no doubt. One can see from his mug too what sort of chap he is. His alibi gives him away hand and foot. There's no doubt either that he was not the instigator of the crime. He was only the stupid hired hand. Do you agree? The discreet Syakov plays a not unimportant part in the affair too. His blue trousers, his embarrassment, his lying on the stove from fright after the murder, his alibi, and a kolka. Keep it up, you're in your glory. According to you, if a man knows a kolka, he's a murderer. Ah, you hothead. You ought to be sucking your bottle instead of investigating cases. You used to be running after a kolka too. Does that mean that you had a hand in this business? Akulka was a cook in your house for a month, too. But I do not say anything. On that Saturday night, I was playing cards with you. I saw you, or I should be after you, too. The woman is not the point, my good sir. The point is the nasty, disgusting, mean feeling. The discreet young man did not like to be cut out, do you see? Vanity. He longed to be revenged. Then, his lips are a strong indication of sensuality. Do you remember how he smacked his lips when he compared Akulka to Nana? That he is burning with passion, the scoundrel, is beyond doubt. And so, you have wounded vanity and unsatisfied passion. That's enough to lead to murder. Two of them are in our hands, but who is the third? Nikolashka and Syakov held him. Who was it that smothered him? Syakov is timid, easily embarrassed, altogether coward. People like Nikolashka are not equal to smothering with a pillow. They set to work with an axe or a mallet. Some third person must have smothered him. But who? Dukovsky pulled his cap over his eyes and pondered. He was silent till the wagonette had driven up to the examining magistrate's house. Eureka, he said, as he went into the house and took off his overcoat. Eureka, Nikolai. I can't understand how it is it didn't occur to me before. Do you know who the third is? Do leave off, please. There's supper ready. Sit down to supper. Chubikov and Tchaikovsky sat down to supper. Tchaikovsky poured himself out a wineful of vodka, got up, stretched, and with sparkling eyes said, Let me tell you then that the third person who collaborated with the scoundrel Syakov and smothered him was a woman. Yes, I'm speaking of the murder man's sister, Maria Ivanovna. Chubikov coughed over his vodka and fastened his eyes on Tchaikovsky. Are you not quite right? Is your head not quite right? Does it ache? I am quite well. Very good. Suppose I have gone out of my mind. But how do you explain her confusion on our arrival? How do you explain her refusal to give information? 
admitting that that is trivial. Very good. All right. But think of the terms they were on. She detested her brother. She's an old believer. He's a profligate, a godless fellow. That is what has bred hatred between them. They say he succeeded in persuading her that he was an angel of Satan. He used to practice spiritualism in her presence. Well, what then? Don't you understand? She's an old believer. She murdered him through fanaticism. She has not merely slain a wicked man. She has freed the world from an antichrist. And that she fancies is her merit, her religious achievement. Ah, you don't understand these old maids, these old believers. You should read Dostoevsky. It's she. It's she. I'll stake my life on it. She smothered him. Oh, the fiendish woman. Wasn't she perhaps standing before the icons when we went in to put us off the scent? I'll stand up and say my prayers, she said to herself. They will think I am calm and don't expect them. That's the method of all novices in crime. Dear Nikolai, my dear man, do hand this case over to me. Let me go through it to the end. My dear fellow, I've begun it and I will carry it through to the end. Chibrikov shook his head and frowned. I am equal to sifting difficult cases myself, he said, and it's your place not to put yourself forward. Right, what is dictated to you, that is your business. Tchaikovsky flushed crimson, walked out and slammed the door. A clever fellow, the rogue, Chirukov muttered, looking after him. Very clever, only inappropriately hasty. I shall have to buy him a cigar case at the fair for a present. Next morning, a lad with a big head came from Klazovka. He gave his name as a shepherd in Ilko and furnished a very interesting piece of information. I had had a drop, he said. I stayed on till midnight at my cronies. As I was going home, being drunk, I got into the river for a bath. I was bathing, and what do I see? Two men coming along the dam carrying something black. Hello, I shouted at them. They were scared and cut along as fast as they could into the Marikov kitchen gardens. Strike me dead if it wasn't the master they were carrying. Towards evening of the same day, Syakov and Nikolashka were arrested and taken under guard to the district town. In the town, they were put in the prison tower. Part 2 Twelve days passed. It was morning. The examining magistrate, Nikolai Yermolaevich, was sitting at a green table at home, looking through the papers relating to the Klausov case. Tchaikovsky was pacing up and down the room restlessly, like a wolf in a cage. You are convinced of the guilt of Nikolashka and Tsarikov, he said, nervously pulling at his youthful beard. Why is it you refuse to be convinced of the guilt of Maria Ivanovna? Haven't you evidence enough? I don't say that I don't believe in it. I am convinced of it. But somehow I can't believe it. There is no real evidence. It's all theoretical, as it were. Fanaticism and one thing and another. And you must have an axe and blood-stained sheets? You lawyers. Well, I'll prove it to you then. Do give up your slipshod attitude to the psychological aspect of the case. Your Maria Ivanovna ought to be in Siberia. I'll prove it. If theoretical proof is not enough for you, I have something material. It will show you how right my theory is. Only, let me go about a little. What are you talking about? The safety match. Have you forgotten? 
I haven't forgotten it. I'll find out who struck it in the murder man's room. It was not struck by Nikolashka, nor by Sayakov, neither of whom turned out to have matches when searched, but a third person, that is Mariah Ivanovna, and I will prove it. Only let me drive about the district, making some inquiries. Oh, very well, sit down. Let us proceed to the examination. Tchaikovsky sat down to the table and thrust his long nose into the papers. Bring in Nikolai Techov, cried the examining magistrate. Nikolashka was brought in. He was pale and thin as a chip. He was trembling. Techov, began Tubakov. In 1879, you were convicted of theft and condemned to a term of imprisonment. In 1882, you were condemned for theft a second time and a second time sent to prison. We all know about it. A look of surprise came up into Nikolashka's face. The examining magistrate's omniscience amazed him, but soon wonder was replaced by an expression of extreme distress. He broke into sobs and asked leave to go wash and calm himself. He was let out. Bring in Sayakov said the examining magistrate. Sykov was brought in. The young man's face had greatly changed during those twelve days. He was thin, pale, and wasted. There was a look of apathy in his eyes. Sit down, Sykov, said Chubakov. I hope that today you will be sensible and not persist in lying as on other occasions. All this time you've denied your participation in the murder of Klausov, in spite of the mass of evidence against you. It is senseless. Confession is some mitigation to guilt. Today, I am talking to you for the last time. If you don't confess today, tomorrow it will be too late. Come, tell us. I know nothing, and I don't know your evidence, whispered Sayakov. That's useless. Well then, allow me to tell you how it happened. On Saturday evening, you were sitting in Klausov's bedroom, drinking vodka and beer with him. Tchaikovsky riveted his eyes on Sayakov's face and did not remove them during the whole monologue. Nikolai was waiting upon you. Between twelve and one, Mark Ivanovich told you he wanted to go to bed. He always did go to bed at that time. While he was taking off his boots and giving you some instructions regarding the estate, Nikolai and you, at a given signal, seized your intoxicated master and flung him back upon the bed. One of you sat on his feet, the other on his head. At that moment, the lady, who you know, in a black dress, who had arranged with you beforehand the part she would take in the crime, came in from the passage. She picked up the pillow and proceeded to smother him with it. During the struggle, the light went out. The woman took a box of safety matches out of her pocket and lighted the candle. Is that right? I see from your face that what I say is true. Well, to proceed. Having smothered him and having convinced that he'd ceased to breathe, Nikolai and you dragged him out of the window and put him down near the burdocks. Afraid that he might regain consciousness, you struck him with something sharp. Then you carried him and laid him for some time under a lilac bush. After resting and considering a little, you carried him, lifted him over the hurdle, then went along the road. Then comes the dam. Near the dam you were frightened by a worker. But what is the matter with you? Sykov, white as a sheet, got up, staggering. I'm suffocating, he said. Very well, so be it. Only I must go, please. Sykov was led out. At last, he's admitted it, said Chubakov, stretching at his ease. He's given himself away. How neatly I caught him there. And he didn't deny the woman in black, 
said Dukovsky, laughing. I'm awfully worried over that safety match, though. I can't endure it any longer. Goodbye, I'm going. Tchaikovsky put on his cap and went off. Chubikov began interrogating Akulka. Akulka declared that she knew nothing about it. I've lived with you and with nobody else, she said. At six o'clock in the evening, Tchaikovsky returned. He was more excited than ever. His hands trembled so much that he could not unbutton his overcoat. His cheeks were burning. It was evident that he had not come back without news. Vini, Vidi, Vici, he cried dashing into Chubkov's room and sinking into an armchair. I vow on my honour, I begin to believe in my own genius. Listen, damnation take us. Listen and wonder, old friend. It's comic and it's sad. You have three in your grasp already, haven't you? I have found a fourth murderer, or rather, murderess, for it is a woman. And what a woman. I would have given ten years of my life merely to touch her shoulders. But listen. I drove to Klausovka, and proceeded to describe a spiral round it. On the way, I visited all the shopkeepers and innkeepers asking for safety matches. Everywhere I was told, no. I have been on my round trip up to now. Twenty times I lost hope, and as many times regained it. I have been on the go all day long, and only an hour ago came upon what I was looking for. A couple of miles from here, they gave me a packet of a dozen boxes of matches. One box was missing. I asked at once, Who bought that box? So-and-so, she took a fancy to them, they crackle. My dear fellow, Nikolai, what can sometimes be done by a man who's been expelled from a seminary and studied Gaborot is beyond all conception. From today, I shall begin to respect myself. Well, let us go. Go where? To her, to the fourth. We must make haste, or I shall explode with impatience. Do you know who she is? You will never guess. The young wife of our old police superintendent, Igraf Kuzmich, Olga Petrovna. That is who it is. She bought that box of matches. You. Are you out of your mind? It's very natural. In the first place, she smokes, and in the second, she was head over ears in love with Klausov. He rejected her love for the sake of an Okolka. Revenge. I remember now. I once came upon them behind the screen in the kitchen. She was cursing him while he was smoking her cigarette and puffing the smoke into her face. But do come along, make haste, for it is getting dark already. Let us go. I have not gone so completely crazy yet as to disturb a respectable, honourable woman at night for the sake of a wretched boy. Honourable? Respectable? You are a rag, then, not an examining magistrate. I've never ventured to abuse you, but now you force me to it. You rag, you old fogey. Come, dear Nikolai Yermolich, I entreat you. The examining magistrate waved his hand in refusal and spat in disgust. I beg you. I beg you not for my own sake, but in the interests of justice. I beseech you indeed. Do me a favour, if only for once in your life. Tchaikovsky fell on his knees. Nikolai, do be so good. Call me a scoundrel or worthless wretch if I am in error about this woman. It is such a case, you know. It is a case, more like a novel than a case. The fame of it will be all over Russia. They will make you examine a magistrate for particularly important cases. Do you understand, you unreasonable old man? The examining magistrate frowned and irresolutely put out his hand towards his hat. Will the devil take you, he said. Let us go. 
It was already dark when the examining magistrate's wagonette rolled up to the police superintendent's door. What brutes we are, said Chubikov as he reached for the bell. We are disturbing people. Never mind, never mind, don't be frightened. We shall say that one of the springs is broken. Chubikov and Tchaikovsky were met in the doorway by a tall, plump woman of three and twenty, with eyebrows as black as pitch and full red lips. It was Olga Petrovna herself. Ah, very nice, she said, smiling over her face. You're just in time for supper. My Igraf Kuzmich is not at home. He's staying at the priest's. We can get on without him. Sit down. Have you come for an inquiry? Yes. We have broken one of our springs, you know, began Chubikov, going into the drawing room and sitting down in an easy chair. Take her by surprise at once and overwhelm her, Tchaikovsky whispered to him. A spring, or yes, we just drove up. Overwhelm her, I tell you. She will guess if you go drawing it out. Oh, do as you like, but spare me, muttered Chubikov, getting up and walking to the window. I can't. You cooked the mess, you eat it. Yes, the spring, Tchaikovsky began, going up to the superintendent's wife and wrinkling his long nose. We have not come into her supper, but to see Igraf Kuzmich. We have come to ask you, madam, where is Mark Ivanovich, whom you have murdered? What? What, Mark Ivanovich? faltered the superintendent's wife, and her full face was suddenly in one instant suffused with crimson. I don't understand. I ask you in the name of the law. Where's Klausov? We know all about it. Through whom? the superintendent's wife asked slowly, unable to meet Tchaikovsky's eyes. Kindly inform us where he is. But how did you find out? Who told you? We know all about it. I insist in the name of the law. The examining magistrate, encouraged by the lady's confusion, went up to her. Tell us, and we will go away. Otherwise, we... What do you want with him? What is the object of such questions, madam? We ask you for information. You are trembling, confused. Yes, he has been murdered. And if you will have it, murdered by you. Your accomplices have betrayed you. The police superintendent's wife turned pale. Come along, she said quietly, wringing her hands. He's hidden in the bathhouse. Only for God's sake, don't tell my husband, I implore you. It would be too much for him. The superintendent's wife took a big key from the wall and led her visitors through the kitchen and the passage into the yard. It was dark in the yard. There was a drizzle of fine rain. The superintendent's wife went on ahead. Chubikov and Tchaikovsky strode after her through the long grass, breathing in the smell of wild hemp and slops, which made a squelching sound under their feet. It was a big yard. Soon, there were no more pools of slops, and their feet felt ploughed land. In the darkness they saw the silhouette of trees, and among the trees a little house with a crooked chimney. This is the bathhouse, said the superintendent's wife, but I implore you, do not tell anyone. Going up to the bathhouse, Chubikov and Tchaikovsky saw a large padlock on the door. Get ready your candle end and matches, Chubikov whispered to his assistant. The superintendent's wife unlocked the padlock and let the visitors into the bathhouse. Tchaikovsky struck a match and lighted up the entry. In the middle of it stood a table. On the table, beside a podgy little samovar, was a soup tureen with some cold cabbage soup in it and a dish with traces of some sauce on it. Go on. They went into the next room, the bathroom. There too was a table. 
On the table there stood a big dish of ham, a bottle of vodka, plates, knives and forks. But where is he? Where's the murdered man? He's on the top shelf, whispered the superintendent's wife, looking paler than ever and trembling. Tchaikovsky took the candle end in his hand and climbed up to the upper shelf. There he saw a long human body lying motionless on a big feather bed. The body emitted a faint snore. They've made fools of us, damn it all, Tchaikovsky cried. This is not he. It is some living blockhead lying here. Hi, who are you, damnation take you? The body drew its breath with a whistling sound and moved. Tchaikovsky prodded it with his elbow. It lifted up its arms, stretched and raised its head. Who is that poking? A hoarse, ponderous bass voice inquired. What do you want? Tchaikovsky held the candle end to the face of the unknown and uttered a shriek. In the crimson nose, in the ruffled, uncombed hair, in the pitch-black moustaches of which one was jauntily twisted and pointed insolently towards the ceiling, he recognised Kornet Klausov. You, Mark Ivanovich. Impossible. The examining magistrate looked up and was dumbfounded. It is I, yes. And it's you, Dukovsky. What the devil do you want here? And whose ugly mug is that down there? Holy saints, it's the examining magistrate. How in the world did you come here? Klausov hurriedly got down and embraced Shubakov. Olga Petrovna whisked out of the door. However did you come? Let's have a drink, dash it all. Let's have a drink. Who brought you here, though? How did you get to know I was here? It doesn't matter. Have a drink. Klausov lighted the lamp and poured out three glasses of vodka. The fact is, I don't understand you, said the examining magistrate, throwing out his hands. Is it you, or not you? Stop that. Do you want to give me a sermon? Don't trouble yourself. Dukovsky, boy, drink up your vodka. Friends, let us pass the... What are you staring at? Drink. All the same, I can't understand, said the examining magistrate, mechanically drinking his vodka. Why are you here? Why shouldn't I be here, if I am comfortable here? Klausov sipped his vodka and ate some ham. I am staying with the superintendent's wife, as you see. In the wilds, among the ruins, like some house goblin. Drink. I feel sorry for her, you know, old man. I took pity on her and, well... I'm living here in the deserted bathhouse, like a hermit. I'm well fed. Next week I'm thinking of moving on. I've had enough of it. Inconceivable, said Tchaikovsky. What is there inconceivable in it? Inconceivable. For God's sake, how did your boot get into the garden? What boot? We found one of your boots in the bedroom and the other in the garden. And what do you want to know that for? It is not your business. But do drink, dash it all. Since you've waked me up, you might as well drink. There's an interesting tale about that boot, my boy. I didn't want to come to Olga's. I didn't feel inclined, you know. I'd had a drop too much. She came under the window and began scolding me. You know how women, as a rule. Being drunk, I up and flung my boot at her. Ha ha. Don't scold, I said. She clambered in at the window, lighted the lamp, and gave me a good drubbing as I was drunk. I have plenty to eat here. Love, vodka, and good things. But where are you off to, Chubikov? Where are you off to? The examining magistrate spat on the floor and walked out of the bathhouse. Tchaikovsky followed him with his head hanging. Both got into the wagonette in silence and drove off. Never had the road seemed so long and dreary. 
Both were silent. Chubikov was shaking with anger all the way. Tchaikovsky hid his face in his collar, as though he were afraid the darkness and the drizzling rain might read his shame on his face. On getting home, the examining magistrate found the doctor, Chutuyev, there. The doctor was sitting at the table and heaving deep sighs as he turned over the pages of the Neva. The things that are going on in the world, he said, greeting the examining magistrate with a melancholy smile. Austria is at it again, and Gladstone too, in a way. Chibikov flung his hat over the table and began to tremble. You devil of a skeleton, don't bother me. I've told you a thousand times over, don't bother me with your politics. It's not the time for politics. And as for you, he turned upon Tchaikovsky and shook his fist at him. As for you, I'll never forget it, as long as I live. But the safety match, you know, how could I tell? Choke yourself with your match. Go away and don't irritate me, or goodness knows what I shall do to you. Don't let me set eyes on you. Tchaikovsky heaved a sigh, took his hat and went out. I'll go and get drunk, he decided, as he went out of the gate and sauntered dejectedly towards the tavern. When the superintendent's wife got home from the bathhouse, she found her husband in the drawing room. What did the examining magistrate come about? asked her husband. He came to say that they found Klausov. Only fancy, they found him staying with another man's wife. Ah, Mark Ivanovich, Mark Ivanovich, sighed the superintendent, turning up his eyes. I told you that dissipation would lead to no good. I told you so. You wouldn't heed me. Good night.